This is Julio Romo, and welcome to the 247 Podcast. In each show, I'll be bringing you interviews, insight, and opinion on all matters relating to communications, reputation, and digital innovation. In this one, I'm talking to Fallon founder and CEO, Fergus Bell, about trust in the age of misinformation. Do follow and subscribe. So, Fergus... Thanks very much. Thanks very much for uh, sharing your time. Obviously, we we are in lockdown. This is an interesting time, not just for us in our field, but obviously for you, obviously in the media and the, in the kind of the journalist field uh, as well. Um, just to kind of just so that everyone knows, obviously, uh, Fergus Bell, you are founder and CEO of Fathom. Uh, you are uh, experienced and sort of been in the digital sphere since you entered uh, journalism uh, as well. Uh, years back, obviously, as a social media and UGC editor with the Associated Press. Uh, you've uh, been with a variety of different international organizations, many media startups as well. Now, today, founder and CEO of uh, Fathom. Uh, and obviously, importantly as well, it's worth pointing out that uh, you are equally a board member of uh, the online uh, news uh, association. The one thing, as I mentioned to you, that it, that, that it, it I think people in communication, so very much on the other side of the fence, are interested in uh, is that subject of misinformation. But, but I think importantly, not just of the impact that it might have on them, but actually kind of trust uh, and so on. But I think it's worth really starting at the beginning, given obviously the work that, that you'd been involved with in the past uh, and that kind of aspect of misinformation and how you came across it first and how kind of it shaped your your career, your job, your fact-finding and, and, and verifying. Sure. Hi. Um, yes, I, I guess I've been doing verification work, which is was the, the precursor to misinformation work for quite a long time. So this, for me, started when I was at the Associated Press and, and I was working on videos coming out of the Arab Spring, uh, places like Egypt, uh, try and no one at that point knew how to find people who, who were in places of interest who were involved in things uh, social media was starting to become a way that people could share information about that uh, about where they were from uh, where they were where they where they were from what, what they were seeing and so from a journalistic point of view uh, that's that's where that kind of movement of social media verification uh, starts to come about that then led to more structured processes around user-generated content, uh, working out whether something was true, true or not from the from the place we thought it was from or not, um, and also within the context that we thought. Since then, we've we've seen a, a split and then a convergence uh, again, and and that is. Um, Fact checking was a, was a separate thing, and that uh, we had the verifiers and we had the fact checkers. The verifiers and the fact checkers were doing very different things. Now we're starting to see them come together because their crossover is uh, is obvious. Um, but we're also seeing this kind of misinformation ecosystem. This idea that misinformation can be used. Um, to win elections, it can be used on platforms. Misinformation strategies are a thing, uh, as are disinformation strategies. So we've seen a, a, a kind of boom in this environment, and 
there's opportunities for for everyone to be able to fight it and track it and uh, limit the impact, um, but there are also risks for everyone. So uh, that's a, that's a summary of, of almost ten years in a, in, yeah. a, in a few minutes. I mean, I, I remember the formation of the user-generated content desk at the BBC. That was 10, 11, 12 years ago. And the brief insight that I had back then was very much about that, about the user-generated content. And I think at that time, misinformation and disinformation wasn't really even, a, 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 on the digital sphere, wasn't really even an area of concern. And if it was, it appeared to be more within the political environment. Now, of course, we seem to, we seem to be, obviously, that subject cemented itself in the political environment, wherever you are around the world. Um, obviously, my work takes me to Southeast Asia, obviously, uh, and, and before that in the, in the GCC. Um, but, but obviously, it's equally moved into more of the corporate uh, area as well. Where do you find, uh, you know, or, or somewhere from, from, from the media side, do, do you see organizations, media organizations having to uh, invest a lot more time and resource in the fact checking and in the verifying of content, not just for any story that might be political, but equally anything that, that, that is corporate as well, where the corporates will have to go through the necessary sign off for traditional press releases, financial announcements or, or so on. So in terms of resources, kind of, um, I think it's very clear that the, the the news and journalism industry isn't flush with cash at the moment. Mm. Um, but what we have seen in terms of a shift in resources is it used to be someone like me sitting in the corner of the room doing this. Mm-hmm. Now it's a part of everyone's responsibility to do this. And, and news organizations are launching fact check products. Mm. Uh, there is a, a separate journalistic fact check community uh, who who follow very, very strict standards and are very good at information sharing in terms of the latest uh, debunks or the latest processes for doing that. Um, so that those are the kind of internal products. And then we've seen this shift as standards are brought into organizations to assess everything that passes through that organization to see that it meets the st- a standard. So that does involve things like analyzing press releases and analyzing statistics, or if statistics are mentioned or claims are made to fact check those in the same process that uh, using the same process that a journalist reporting uh, on their beat would have to do for anything they come across. Have you seen on the point of statistics, have you seen more an increase, say, from, I would say, even a corporate, but equally a political side, uh, with my own experience of working, you know, within the UK government, of there are more stories that are built on statistics, but therefore if they come from a, a corporate environment, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics, so you have to invest more. Then the FT recent position with regards to using statistics has been fantastic. But, but how do you find that, being able to break those statistics apart in order to verify if what's being shared is, is true? Really simply, ask for the raw data. Okay. Ask for the report that the statistic came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, everyone knows that statistics can be used to tell the story that you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're interacting with journalists, then I'm sorry, but you're not necessarily going to get the story that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get the story that that is there. Um, so... Sharing original source material is going to be essential, and I would not be surprised if if there people are increasingly being asked for that. And okay. from a journalistic point of view, they should be. Um, and then 
I guess kind of understanding that if you're going to share results, then or results or statistics, people will dive into that and just check to see what angle you've put on it. Because you can, a, a true, you don't have to fake numbers to selectively use them to, to tell the story that you want. Mm-hmm. It's just important to, to be transparent about what you're sharing. Um, and I think we, we've seen an understanding of that from both sides in a lot of cases and no understanding as well. I mean, and certainly there's a point that you mentioned earlier, obviously the media industry, the news industry as well. And I'm loath to say industry in some way because it is an essential part of society, journalism, uh, is it's not a wash with money. It's not a wash with investment as well because those people that 10 to 20 years ago would pick up a copy of a newspaper, would watch uh, news online from credited sources from across a political spectrum, but they, they still had that authenticity there. Now, obviously, since the rise of the, of the social media uh, giants, um, Facebook, Twitter, for example, are, are, are some, but equally forums uh, as well, uh, those eyeballs have gone elsewhere. Um, how do you find that they are getting their own stories, might not be fact-checked, but their own stories from other sources affecting their interaction with uh, news organizations that, that, that you know, rightly so carry that professional gravitas? That's a really difficult point to address because the way that people consume news and the choice that people have has fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. You are served news algorithmically now. A lot of people are. Uh, and it, you don't receive... Uh, an editor's breakdown of what what is the most important story of the day. You also get served algorithmically content that is of interest to you. Um, Not necessarily timely, not necessarily um, have the same standards that editorial operations have developed over time and hold themselves uh, up to. That's both a good thing because you get what you want, but a bad thing because in a way you you see something on a screen and you might compare it to to something of a higher quality or with higher higher editorial standards or higher values around transparency of sourcing um, when that comparison can't be made. So it looks the same, but it's not the same. And I think that's the dangerous part and, and perhaps people don't, fully grasp that if they see something in the same platform, it's not necessarily of the same quality or integrity. And how do you find obviously the, the influence on reputation and the trust in the media organization? I'm, I'm coming at this from organizations, corporates and others who obviously still have to have and rightly have to have a good working relationship with media organizations who want to amplify their story. But obviously, if communities are out there are looking to um, uh, challenge their authority or their specific position, uh, how do you feel that that relationship is working? Again, it leads me to a separate question in a minute, more about what do organizations need to consider uh, on that? But before that, you know, what, what would your answer be? Uh, I would say that... I imagine that things aren't aren't necessarily worse than they than they were kind of previously, uh, but I would say that there is massive room for improvement. <laughs> Journalists and news organisations are on the front end on, on of 
the issue of trust. They've had a huge blow to the to how trustworthy they are, and they are whether that was their fault or not. That's a whole other discussion. But they are as good as the facts of their story, and if they hold up, and if those facts or or if there is trouble coming from a source of a story that someone through some process of communications has got to them, and there is a problem the journalists are the ones that will take the beating for it initially. So it is important for that relationship with those, um, with people in the communications industry to be as accurate as possible to not put journalists in that situation. And that is the way that you improve that relationship. No one wants to be made a fool of in reporting something that, that they have been assured is true and that they have done their checks. And, um, I, I think, there has also been a shift in the way that that news is produced and quiet news days. There is not that need to go looking for a sto- an easy story now, mm-hmm. whereas I think that, that that was the case on slow news days. It, finding news is not a problem, um, and so there's not you don't there's uh, maybe this is a very bad view of kind of PRs. There's not that need to have a press release land on your desk at the right time and be like, Oh, that's, that's the bit that's going to fill that page or that segment of the evening news. Um, actually we don't, it, it's more, if it's a high value story, that's going to be, that's going to have value all the way through the chain. Do, do you find, I mean, on, on that perspective that obviously say on the, on the communication side of the fence, the public relations communication side of the fence, that obviously those old ways of trying to put a story out, you know, on a slow news day, for example, uh, or today's, you know, good news to bear, today's a good news to bury bad news. You know, today's a good day to bury bad news is, is the old saying, because there is so much, so many platforms, even for news organizations that that rule really doesn't apply. Whenever a story breaks, it can be at any time because there needs, there needs to be a lot more internal insight by communicators within, within their own organizations and equally the hearsay that's being shared outside. Yes, and there is also an audience who are motivated and engaged and will seek out you know, intentions behind things, analyze that quite rightly. Um, and I think that's a wonderful, um, a wonderful development that audiences have that direct interaction and we can see that interaction and it has to hold everyone to a higher standard. You can't slip something through because someone will point it out. Um, and in a busy newsroom, you may not have had time to point it out or you're reporting the news, but there's lots of people who, who do have the time to point that out. And, and that means everyone has to work to a, to a higher standard to make sure that, that things aren't slipping through the net that shouldn't. So, so the external stakeholders of an organization, if they have a, a digital footprint themselves, they'll obviously not just be following that organization, they'll be following the journalists as well, because they'll ideally want the tip from the journalist rather than from the media organization. But equally, if something does slip through, they go, ah, I, this person is also saying this, let me uh, share it. So you've got more from the journalist side, not just your internal network of contact, but you've got those others around that can obviously further uh, give you additional insight? Not just others, our, the stakeholders in our product. Yeah. Um, 
so so we we have them and and also we live in a world where source material if it exists if it's public can be found by people and um and discussed and so if a statistic going back to the statistic yeah. maybe because it's it's the kind of low hanging fruit in this argument if a full statistic is used it's pretty easy to find the for anyone to be able to find that source material, they expect audiences expect the journalists to have worked from it, and, and by turn, audience uh, journalists will expect quick and easy access to that data if it is being presented to them um, as a as a press release. Do you think that the level of uh, uh, presenting statistics, for example, for a story, is at a level playing field or at, at a level? between how journalists and data scientists would use within a newsroom to that within more corporate organizations when they use statistics in a very different way? Um, I, I do think that they're completely Who is more forensic about... The, the scientists are more forensic around, around data. Um, I've done work with, with science journalists and, and identifying some of the challenges that science journalists have. And, and actually, one of the things that they've identified is if you're looking at res, a research paper uh, and you're the journalist, the person in between is the press office or... Yeah. Uh, and and that person in between may have interpreted the data to be able to get the story to the journalists yeah. or pick out the headlines when actually, but I think what we're seeing is specialist science journalists would actually really love to d- dive into the data and they're building up expertise that we've got really strong um, data journalists now. We've got people who can uh, crunch numbers, who can analyze this in a way that is, right forensic but they need that access um but of course a a, a scientist looks at the numbers for for their purposes in a a far more forensic way um because they're looking because they've got a different outcome Uh, what would be great is for two sides to talk about what they need and and um and what the others need and and there's a really good example of of an organization doing that which is the conversation who turn whose contributors are all academics and scientists Mm -hmm. um, and they are writing news stories, writing stories about research and about current issues from that perspective. Obviously we know that kind of within a newsroom, you know, the shape of the newsroom and the roles within a newsroom have developed as obviously digital and social has taken hold uh, of of the way of living uh, and the way of working as well. Do you think the same could be said about those within within the communications function on the other side of the fence have they still have they stuck to the media relations copywriting uh, events and so on uh, or have they also invested into that more forensic ability to look at data and so on i know within government obviously statistics have to generally generally confirm or they do have to conform to ons standards and so on but within more outside of government what is your view are we uh, is the comms community having to is it going to need to change and, and upskill itself in order to be able to better engage and better um uh avoid any issues of we're hiding this or there's misinformation or so on um i'm not i'm not at the, i'm not sitting in an, on a news desk at the moment making seeing that that kind of stream or, or 
or, or that process. And so I can only really kind of talk about it from the, from the widest possible view, but like the media industry or like the, the news industry there, you are kind of judged by the worst person in the room okay. um, and you get lumped together as an industry. And so how often do we hear people blame the media or journalists when it's a bad, when something bad happens? And I, and I think there is a, a growing movement that understands that the industry has to come together around trust and trust indicators and trust standards. Yeah. I anecdotally, I would say that that's probably true for um, public relations and communications as well. You're still potentially lumped in with with those rotten eggs that, that yeah. have, have acted badly, and I can list off a whole load of anecdotes that I've heard from newsrooms that say we are now going to, we, we ran a story and it turned out that it was false or that figure was used and we look and we got called on it and it's false. We will not be taking any press releases from them anymore. We will block their email addresses. Yeah. Uh, from, and we will, and we will say that no one can, can run a story, uh, from them. So that is still happening. Um, but then I would also talk from that wider point of view, you know, we talk about the newsroom, you talk about corporate newsrooms. They, they're, they're, you're, there's a world where where the actions of one side of this industry replicate some of those processes uh, from the other. Um, I don't believe that those processes are in place in corporate newsrooms because mm-hmm. they're only still just being developed and solidified and coming out with best practice in uh, journalistic newsrooms. Okay. So. And I and I think the two probably feed off each other. So we can't be possibly at that at that stage where you have all of those structures for identifying misinformation. I know that there are. I've heard anecdotes of crisis response, of monitoring, of, of all of this. But I, I there are things that we are that I am discovering every day around fact checking and misinformation where these things are not written up yet. They're not they're not wide, widely used as best practice because we're coming up with new things as new things emerge. Um, so I would be surprised because the news industry hasn't even rolled all of this out yet or, or nowhere near rolled it out. So um, I, would, I would suggest possibly that, that it couldn't possibly have happened that quickly yet. And in some way, obviously, you focus on that, you know, vital point, which, which is about trust. Yes, there is trust in the media, and that's obviously being challenged. There's obviously, obviously, always been the trust within communications professionals because you're trying to establish that narrative, that view, that perception in, in a certain way. And obviously, in the whole environment of, of digital and, and social, you know, and it feels like an eternity that we've been in this area, um, that there, obviously there, there might still be a, a, a disconnect. What would you, what would, I mean, what kind of insight do you get, say, potentially from conversations from fellow members, say from the ONA, that, that communications professional leaders uh, need to consider to make sure that what is a good corporate newsroom, these are the skills that they have to make sure that for that entity, they are seen in a way in which the reputation is secure uh, and equally there isn't going to be a challenge on that. What, what kind of tips would you have, would you give from the other side of the fence? I would say that the corporate newsroom should be looking at verification processes and fact-checking standards that 
newsrooms are implementing themselves because ultimately anything coming from that other side will have to go through that process you will be much much more efficient as a corporate newsroom if you are uh, sharing information in a way that that allows a journalist to analyze your your content quicker um, and, and meet those standards um, so, so I would say replicate those processes, make sure that there is training. Um, if you are, I think there were in the news industry, the work around social media at the beginning was farmed out to junior staffers. Yeah. Misinformation work, monitoring. I think in, in communications in broadly in media broadly, it's, not necessarily seen as high level work um, in, in all cases. In all cases, it should be. It, it's difficult work. It requires experience. You can't, just, you can't just hit the ground running. You can't just say, make sure that there's no misinformation or find the misinformation here. Misinformation campaigns uh, from outside state actors are incredibly complex. They have um, the methods that are used would will bring people in for no reason that you can see, but you can still be dragged into being a missing part of a misinformation campaign. There has to be solid learning. There has to be solid structures in place and there has to be kind of due credit given to the level of that work anywhere that you're, you're working on it. Do you feel that with that in some way, the relationship will improve, not just obviously between uh, communicators and journalists, which, which, you know, there are many organizations where, where that is strong and that does exist, but, but equally, I think between uh, uh, communicators and their organizations and the wider stakeholder uh, uh, area and, and their specific audiences as well. I do, I do, and and I I think there's always been this kind of this side and that side, and you even you even phrased it that way earlier. Yeah. But actually, there's a bigger a bigger issue here. Misinformation is the other side. Yes, communicators are not communicators. Whatever whatever type of communication you're in, which is if it's direct, indirect, um, corporate, non corporate, actually misinformation, disinformation is the other side. Is what we are all. Uh, meant to be against and what a lot of us are against and what and what and that is a big enough fight without having kind of infighting or friction between people who are, who ultimately are on the same side which is about getting information out there um, for a specific reason whatever and whatever that reason may be and obviously we're talking this in a very gen- general uh, kind of view overseas culture plays a different uh uh, and it's a kind of it's a, it's it's a different but very important aspect to how local communities trust their leaders. Uh, my work in in Southeast Asia uh, kind of really for me highlights that. But if you are, for example, in India, where social even actually more of the messaging groups, the WhatsApp, Telegram, uh, and, and and others. How do you then start to kind of factor those areas in where you can't listen, you can't monitor, you can't take insight that then you can advise uh, as well? We even fact check. Certain news organizations are doing very well on fact checking content that is being shared through WhatsApp groups. What, what, what can you tell us about uh, the importance of that and what can organizations, politi- well, political, either community, or even corporate community, can actually learn from that? 
there are i mean this is such a big field and and it's changing so quickly but a snapshot right now i would say make the assumption that you can't see okay um but also your way of seeing what's going on is to form a form a community so that people may share what they're seeing with you um you can't update something Mm-hmm. You can't correct something. You have your standards have to be so high to begin with if you put something out there. Um, but but not just in terms of a statistic or in, in terms of um, or a claim or a fact or a piece of information. It has to be right and it has to be shared in a in a way that matches that platform. So because otherwise someone will turn that into something that is into a format that is shareable on that platform and that's not your way of doing it or that might not you you lose your control so what i mean here is if you put say you were to to do a a campaign on whatsapp uh you're going to share an image into whatsapp with with your campaign which is going to be the best way to do it mm-hmm. if you've not made it if you if you've not created a compelling enough piece of content that works for the people that it's going to be shared with they'll just take the information turn it into something that does because people are pretty smart. Yeah. So you get one shot. There is a lot of work to be done on investment in terms of formats that work um, to make sure that you are giving people what they want. Um, and tracking it is hard, but, but verification is hard, but, but not impossible. So if you have a community, one thing that I've seen some people do is anything that they put out, they put a number on it. Um, and... It, on that number, that number can be cross-referenced with with your website. Yeah. So you you put all of your WhatsApp messages or your visuals or your your campaigns, whatever you you host that somewhere on a platform that you own that is that can be verified. And if someone finds something without a number or with a number, yeah. they can go to your site and just cross-reference that that did actually come from you. Yeah. Super easy. Does not mess up with design very much. It's a verifier. I don't know why more people aren't doing it. So this is really more of, a, of a, you know, creating a, a very open and transparent uh, content library for uh, organizations so that they can quickly say, we've seen this, look, this is what we had, verify it or not. And then you, you let your community, rather than just the organizations, the community debunk that. Yes, exactly. So we, we, a very early version of this was a project I worked on in Mexico called Verificado, where we were fact checking and verifying memes and claims and stats and quotes on, on WhatsApp. The, the way that we did it there was we said every single graphic or image or debunk that we sent back to you on WhatsApp will be tweeted, uh, will be tweeted by the official account and shared on the official Facebook page. If you do not see it there, it's not one of ours. Someone, this is not, this is not real. Someone has used the branding and fabricated it. If you yeah. do find it there, it is one of ours. It, ours. And that's the way that you check. And how do you find, therefore, that obviously the current processes with regards that, that obviously media organizations are using, that com- communication communities obviously are slowly developing as well. Th- this sounds to me like, there needs to be more a, a change in internal culture to, to make, to move possibly towards more transparent uh, behavior. Uh, is that something that you would see or? I think, I think 
it's essential that everyone moves to more transparent behavior. I don't, if you're still not working towards further transparency, then, then you're not doing the right job. But I also think that private messaging apps are way, way, way more personal than a lot of people realize the way that people communicate on, on something like WhatsApp is one-to-one. Um, and even if you are many, if you are one to many and that's how you operate, the person on the other end still sees it as a one-to-one communication. And that's really not desirable for a lot of organizations who want to be able to create scalable content, but it's a huge opportunity if you can get it right to create that one-on-one, uh, feeling for someone because having been involved in projects like this, that is how people want to communicate and continue to, to engage with that process. Well, this report from Krell and Forrester late last year, and it was a, it was the, the story was carried by the Financial Times, mentioned obviously about how organizations are using uh, influencers and, and brand ambassadors in some way. But obviously this traditionally tends to be more in a very open, in a very open social media area rather than the messaging. Would your view be that there is, A, firstly, you need to verify their community Uh, as well there needs to be some due diligence there but equally that the best place for them is not so much just in the public open social media facebook instagram linkedin medium post that that kind of area but equally on whatsapp telegram that that's where they can really uh you know give additional support my mind isn't made up about the role of influencers in 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 this kind of yeah. space um because i think influences come about for completely different reasons yeah. one and influences um influencer means something different to 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 everyone um you're never really going to adopt common standards across across influences i think that Ultimately, though, I trust the audience and that the audience will start to understand people who they can trust because there will be natural trust indicators that start to come out from um, legacy communicators and new communicators. That if, and if it comes out from a, a new communicator, the legacy organizations will, will adopt it if it works. But, but I see that the, I think the audience will, the market will shape that more than more than the industry that where where the influences may be coming from or, or uh, engaged by and with the work that you're doing obviously with fathom how what are you doing there obviously not just uk but overseas and how are you factoring that in is it generally more towards just news organizations overseas or is it also towards um, um corporates uh, as well and and other areas so our work touches um, newsrooms and anyone anyone that interacts with newsrooms is yeah. is kind of the so that that's audience work that's corporate work that any and we focus on the flow of information um, the flow of accurate information I guess so uh, that can involve helping a newsroom bring bring in new or updated verification processes and standards it may involve working with a corporate newsroom to do something similar um, in order to to um, get their information at the to the to the standard that a newsroom would need to pick up on it um, 
we're also obviously in this kind of current climate looking at how to bring those parameters and structures that we've built up around optimizing trust to a distributed workforce. It's a lot easier to have a conversation with someone sitting next to you or spot something on someone else's screen as to flag up a warning to it's really difficult to make sure, especially as misinformation gets even more advanced. Um, it's really difficult to replicate those processes efficiently straight away in a distributed setting where people are working from home in different places. Don't you have to have different sign-off processes, or, or, or not different sign-off processes, but really clear sign-off processes, um, and that involves training. Um, it involves setting up monitoring systems, knowing what to monitor. And that's a real-time situation. I, I always get asked, no matter who I'm speaking to, well, what tools would you recommend? And actually, there is, if there was a tool that I could recommend, I would have built it and I would be very rich by now. There is no tool. It's about process. And processes are tailored unfortunately to to every single situation to each organization to dependent on staff size setting type of information they're dealing with again in a world where scalable is really the word that everyone wants to hear it's fighting misinformation optimizing news and communications processes for trust is is something that has to be done on a case-by-case basis but in summary on the process i'm assuming that also it's not just about having the right processes, but it's actually about having the right, as you say, training, but the right uh, behavior uh, as well. So that it, this, is, this is done by an organization uh, in this way in order to protect their trust. The trust has to be the eyes of the community, the eyes of staff, colleagues, are there to identify, bring up to attention to the professionals and then be able to react accordingly. Uh, how, how do you find to, uh, how do you find the, 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 the changing the internal thought on the risk of misinformation to organizations at a senior level? And I ask this because obviously earlier on you mentioned, rightly so in my opinion, that social media, the management of social media was always farmed out to um, you know, specific younger uh, people within the you know um, the community you know but 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 now it's not how do you change that mentality at, at the top engage them in the process so when whenever we are when we're working with an organization we do our best to persuade whoever's engaged us to bring in the practitioners and the decision makers yeah. so that they hear from both sides as why they can't do something or why they should do something or the more junior kind of practitioners who have to implement the strategy know that they are doing that with the full sign off of the, of the senior management. An example would be in a newsroom. Yeah. I don't want any misinformation uh, pass passing through my newsroom. I don't want us to broadcast or publish anything that, that could be labeled as fake news. We do. Okay. Okay. Oh, um, but then the next day, hey, um, editor, I see our competitors are running this right now. Why aren't we running it? They've been running it for two hours. And so that's going to happen unless you engage that senior person in the process with the junior person to say, okay, this is our standard. We hold on it until it meets this specific standard for verification. Or, and, and 
to be honest, that's been that's been very effective. And the places that don't do that are, are the ones that that don't really make any change. And if there's three things that three pieces of advice that you would give those who are thinking of establishing processes, those who are thinking obviously improving the way that they community uh, you know communicate and engage, what would they be? Create a process that you are happy with and that is informed by industry best practice. Make sure that um, anything that you produce is based on transparency. Yeah. And I don't know what this. I think if you do those two, I think you'd be, I think you'd be off to a good start. To be honest. Yeah. No, I mean that. I, I think. Uh, I, I think you're. Uh, those are those two are, are, are central to, to to anything. Specifically, from you know my 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 area, my expertise is to develop uh, that trust and maintain that trust. And one thing is developing it; the other thing is maintaining that 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 trust. Focus. We could be talking here for hours, uh, if not days, as we have in the past, Pan- on panels or outside panels. Um, I wanted to thank you uh, just for sharing. Uh, we might come back to this subject later on on a, on a, on a different uh, on a different day. Um, but look, thanks very much for that. Uh, I think hopefully people who watch this will be able to pick some. Uh, important points uh, out of this but I know I'll share your contact details obviously so that people can get in touch with you if they do have any questions so uh, Fergus thanks very much uh, again